Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm joined by Catherine Rubino, who is... uh, also in lockdown, as uh, all of us here in New York are, but how are you? I'm, I'm doing all right. How about yourself? You know, it is what it is. Surviving. Uh, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you are a noted extrovert. Uh, I, I have more introverted tendencies than you do, but I imagine it's particularly hard for, for those of in the world that kind of feed off of the energy of a group or a crowd. I feel like that has to be harder for you. Yeah, I mean, it's not great, but we've uh, I've been doing lots of video conferencing and Zoom is becoming my outlet to the world right now. Zoom and Google Hangouts, I, like I, I'm kind of agnostic between my uh, video conferencing services right now, but I've been doing lots <laughs> of multi-hour long calls this, with this people. This call is not sponsored by Zoom. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I didn't dump all my stock and buy Citrix like some senators. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, actually, I, I should clarify, they, they their argument whether it's true or not, is that they did not order that, that purchase, that it was handled by some third party. So we'll see. Did not order the code red. Yeah, that's the argument. So they had some really, really smart advisors. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. So other than that, how are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, trying to just kind of catch up on, uh, on some projects around here that I haven't been doing in a while. And uh, yeah. So here's, here's a question um, I yeah. think that you are definitely going to have an answer to. But I know that kind of with all of the uncertainty and fear surrounding COVID-19, um, a lot of folks and the lack of the distinct lack of federal guidance um, when it comes to a lot of these issues, a lot of folks, not even just New Yorkers, have really kind of turned to Governor Andrew Cuomo uh, as kind of the default leader um, in these times. I was actually looking at a friend of mine's Instagram account, and she lives in Texas, and she's like, yeah, daily watching, watching Andrew Cuomo. And I'm just like, oh, oh, dear. <laughs> what do you think about all that? Yeah, so you do know that I have an opinion on this. I do. Uh, I, I figured. <laughs> I am. Uh, I am not a fan of this. Uh, this embracing of hero worship of this guy for a lot of reasons, many of which I've said before, many of which I don't care to get into. But, um, but yeah, no, <laughs> it's disturbing on a lot of levels the way in which everyone has kind of flocked to this particular governor, and. I actually am putting the finishing touches on a piece that will go up in the very near future here. Actually, by the time you hear this, it will have gone up. Talking about some of those concerns, in particular, the concern that I have that I think a social media post like the one you just described actually highlights for me, which is I have a real worry about the there is a fine line and balance between people who are appreciating somebody for some cool-headed policy analysis and people who have engaged, decided to engage in some sort of authoritarian hero worship. And I worry that we've crossed that threshold right now. And that's troubling to me, not because I can point to a specific thing that he's done that I don't necessarily like, although, I mean, I could, but <laughs> it's because I 
feel as though that just opens the door to some really troubling things. And there was an article in The Atlantic that some professors, both law professors and law-adjacent professors who are very data-centric, they put a poll out in the field and asked about, and basically positing some policies that people like Cuomo could put forward, but they weren't real policies, but they were things that they said, well, public health officials say, we should do this, what do you think? And Americans glommed on top of all of them, no matter how disturbingly unconstitutional and authoritarian some of those ideas were. And I worry that it's hard to find that balance, but we're we're walking into the area where you don't know if people are liking Andrew Cuomo because he makes them feel comfortable because he's doing something and they would be fine with him doing anything or whether they think they agree with these specific ideas. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that you're right. It is kind of hard to know exactly what it is um, about Cuomo that has kind of struck a nerve with folks. But I think that a big part of it is also just it's something, you know, there's not a lot of information. I mean, part of it's, you know, the science is evolving, you know, what we thought about the about the disease and about, you know, treatment three weeks ago is woefully out of date now. And people need leadership during times like this. And, and frankly, it's the only leadership that America's really got at the moment. Yeah, I mean, right. Well, the question is, it depending on how you define leadership, I suppose. Doing big, bold actions is a very performative form of leadership. They Like you can feel that something's happened when somebody does sure. something big. There's more quiet, reserved forms of leadership that can also be happening. That's not really going on here. And my concern that I raise in my piece, which is really a concern that is borne out by the data of this uh, group of professors in their Atlantic mm -hmm. piece, is... I'm not entirely sure whether or not Americans really crave leadership as much as they crave the big, bold thing right now, which is something that sometimes big, bold action is required. The concern that they raise, which I'm not entirely unsympathetic to, is officials who know better tell us we should do this was very much how we ended up interning Japanese Americans in World War II, right? Like there, sure. there are thresholds that can be crossed when you start going down the road of personality cult, hero worship, we just need big action. And I think that America right now, for understandable reasons, doesn't feel like they're mentally ready to have the conversation in their own heads about, do I like this because it's sound or do I like this because I have a psychological need to be sated by some action? But that is a conversation that it probably behooves all of us to have. Yeah. Well, that is a very real and serious take about all the terrible stuff that's going on in the world. Uh. <laughs> yeah. The, the fun and frivolous one did not make it into that conversation. I'm sorry. It's it's fair and it's real and it's something everyone's kind of dealing with at the moment. But what is what what is fun and frivolous going on around it? I mean, I guess we've already talked about hours long, happy hour Zoom conferences. Yeah, yeah, we're everyone's I think doing part of those. Um, my mom even downloaded Zoom onto her phone so because she had heard about some senior citizens comedy hour uh, that was Zoom based. And she, she asked me for advice to upload it onto her phone so she could listen, give it a, give it a whirl. Yeah. I mean, there, there, I have seen comedy hours. I've seen, uh, there's a firm that alerted us today that they're having, uh, 
like live music situation where people will play music and they'll broadcast it for a, as a firm happy hour. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a lot of people trying to come up with ways in which we can all interact. I know that on the law school memes group that I talk about quite a bit, there are members who have started playing video games on Twitch so that everyone can interact. So, you know, it's it's a thing. Yeah. Well, you talk, you mentioned the law school memes group, and I know that there's a lot of controversy currently going on in law schools about how law schools are going to go forward in, you know, a post-pandemic world. <laughs> you know, obviously, law schools have, by and large, moved over to online learning, which makes a ton of sense. You know, the technology does exist, but the big question, especially for law students and ones that are looking to get jobs when they're done with law school is how are those online classes going to be graded? Right. Bunches of law schools have moved over to pass-fail. Cornell, Berkeley, Columbia, NYU says they're going to move over. You know, there's there's a ton of pass-fail options out there. And, you know, some of the deans are saying, you know, it's the it may not be a perfect solution. But it is certainly the best solution that we currently have. It's the most, you know, it's the most humane, it's the most humanitarian of, of our of our options. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, there is that the downside. You know, it wasn't something I initially thought at first. I was like, yeah, obviously, move over. That makes a ton of sense. But there's the downside, and that is the recruitment calendar is rapidly heading towards us. If there's not a change to the to scheduling of on-campus recruitment, you know, folks will have a semester's worth of pass-fail grades and only one semester of, of real grades that Big Law will be making their interview decisions upon. You know, and the um, the managing partner of, person, the partner in charge of uh, recruitment at Skadden said that one, one of the issues with that, too, is that, you know, folks that come from less privileged backgrounds are folks that they tend to see that have, you know, maybe a, a more shaky first semester, but really get it together for the second semester that make a big dent into, you know, who they're recruiting and, and people that they're looking at. And I think that has a pretty big implication for for the industry, not just, you know, the actual students who are, who potentially have their opportunities limited because of pass-fail on their resume. Yeah, I mean, obviously that the improvement over time is something that gets lost. And so that is a real concern. But I I don't know. I'm one of these people who wonders really how, uh, like, do we really have to feel bad for these big firms not being able to figure out from a meeting who to talk like this well, is no, all it's not that it's, this is all a filtering mechanism right they they right, will but, talk to people yeah they'll talk to some people but like i don't i, don't, I know oci was a long time ago for you but um if you remember wow. you know the, <laughs> i mean i had to <laughs> uh, but you know they have everyone want, puts their resume in to interview with scadden but they only have you know 48 slots or, you know, even for the first, you know, general go through and, you know, they depend on their grades to kind of de- to determine who gets those interviews. And I don't feel bad for the firms. I feel bad for the students, you know, who I mean, law schools can be a big adjustment for a lot of people. And maybe they had didn't have the semester that they really wanted for a semester, but they were getting, you know, their shit together for for the second semester and everything looked good before the freaking pandemic came. I, I feel bad for the students who feel like their opportunities will be limited as a result. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's who to be concerned about. My issue is 
the firms don't have to live in a world in which they only talk to 10 kids, right? Like there Mm -hmm. is obviously, if you're having an on-campus conversation, there are limitations to how many hours there are in a day. But this is why White & Case actually has a product that they rolled out before all of this reached this point, actually. They They were doing it for other reasons which allows folks who do not have, say, an on-campus slot to record answers to questions, a common set of questions. It's a portal where they can come in and answer the questions as posed. And it allows them to see people who may not have gotten the interview that they needed and see them and evaluate them and maybe ask them for a callback afterwards. It's a way in Mm -hmm. which they can expand the pool, in particular because it's even though like a lot of the big schools that we're talking about have interviews with everybody, but there are regional programs that are good that could produce students who could move on where, you know, the the firm doesn't necessarily send somebody to interview. And this expands that too. But my, my, my point in how this relates to this is that there are ways in which these firms could change their process to ensure that they talk to more people. And that's really all that is required looking and saying, yeah, we don't really know who from among all of the excellent people who went to Chicago this year, we don't know which of them is slightly more excellent than the others. How about instead of just making arbitrary distinctions based on second semester grades, let's talk to more people and try and parse it out that way. I mean, they all did go to Chicago, right? They're all going to be fine. That's a good point. And and you know, there are definitely people working to to think about how the system works, right? Columbia announced that they were moving their on-campus recruitment program to January, you know, to kind of give students an extra semester's worth of grades to, to put out there. And, you know, so far we haven't heard any of the Columbia students complaining about that. But even before the pandemic happened, Columbia, as well as uh, NYU and Harvard had talked about, had instituted an even earlier early interview program (laughs) whereby they would let their students interview even before their big kind of on-campus program with a select number of big law firms. So the trend really has been to make it earlier in the, in the summer before, you know, well, you know, May or June, well before the traditional time of recruitment starts. But after the pandemic, Columbia canceled the program, that program and pushed all of their recruiting to January, which I mean, obviously, there's there are some concerns that if they're the only ones who do it, that their students might be at a competitive disadvantage. You know, if if firms feel like their classes are already full or if the economy dips even further and they don't really have the bandwidth to make as many offers as they thought they would be able to, you know, if they're the only ones kind of standing alone in a January date, the students are potentially at a disadvantage. No, I mean, I, I think that's right. I feel like everybody's going to move that way ultimately, though. Yeah, I, I, you know, I would, I would think so. I think that, you know, in the letter that, that Columbia sent out, they were like, "Oh yeah, you know, we've, we're this has been done in consultations with m- many uh, employers," and I think that that it's certainly what Scadden seems to want. Um, I think that that's probably what pe- well, that seems to be what the industry wants. So hopefully that that will work out. But you know, kind of being being the lone, uh, <laughs> the first one out is always a little nerve wracking. And I think on the other side of the issue, you know, you have a school like Chicago who announced this week that despite 
petitions and some students, lots of students who were advocating for, to move to a pass-fail system, that they were going to make sure that there was no change to their grading. The same mandatory curve uh, and grading system that they've always had will be in effect for they're about to start their spring uh, quarter. They don't have semesters there in a quarter system. And uh, we got, we've gotten a ton of people complaining about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, partic- particularly, I think, two and three L's, you know, who maybe are, feel a little bit, a little more secure kind of in what their future will look like than one L's who are very nervous about everything. They want at least the option of, of pass-fail and, and the, the dean at Chicago said that they would keep their options open, but as of right now, that's what they're that they were going to keep it all as as per usual. You mean there? We don't think we don't think that any of you have the disease, so you know, uh, good luck. Yeah, there's not really a good reason why two L and three L classes shouldn't be pass fail. Like the only the only real parsing that happens is in those one L courses where they make actual hiring decisions, snap hiring decisions based on those. If people want to have grades, if perhaps they had a bad first couple of years and they're really hoping uh, acing video games and the law, uh, which is actually an interesting, I, I always use that as my example of like a seminar that doesn't make any sense. But then again, last week's episode, we talked pretty in depth about the importance of video games sure. and the law. It was these a really days. interesting episode. Yeah. Well, in fairness, that was about the that was law about video games. Usually those those seminars that are blank and the law are usually more like in Super Mario Brothers. What does that tell us about monarchy versus Western conceptions of liberalism? So that that still is kind of a waste of time anyway. Yeah. So but but there's no reason why those courses shouldn't be. You know, if you feel like you need to get a grade in them so that you can convince people that getting your good grade in that philosophy course means that you're, it's okay that you failed contracts, then, well, whatever. I mean, there, listen, there are some of the, some of the schools that have moved over to, to different systems have instituted optional pass-fail programs where, you mm-hmm. know, the truth is there's a big time zone issue. Students, you know, are all to- have been told to go back home. And, you know, students in Hawaii in an East Coast class time, you know, of 9 a.m. suddenly seems ridiculous. But it, mandatory attendance policies mean that they have to try to kind of be there. And, you know, there, there's a, there's that issue. There's time zone issues that you have no idea what people's families are going through uh, or right. loved ones. You know, if you have somebody that you know and love and care about that is suffering from the disease or if you're immunocompromised and you have a ton of other worries and, you know, on top of just kind of the, oh, my gosh, there's a global pandemic going on, you know, not the school's not really in a position to deal with those those issues. That makes sense. I I don't see a really good reason to maintain the grades at this point. I think the argument that, well, it's a lecture, it's a lecture, it's a lecture, so who cares is not really – one, I think it, it does a good job of explaining how ridiculous the Socratic method was uh, if we're <laughs> just going to let somebody talk uninterrupted and make that the whole thing. But it is still different. And even if you're getting the information through that, it's different to say, turn on online learning, but everyone's safe and sound in their dorm versus turning on online learning and a million other things you can't predict are going on in everyone's life. That seems like a perfect opportunity to make things pass fail and a perfect opportunity for the law firms themselves to rethink how they approach recruiting so that they can ensure that they're getting the right people 
even though there's, you know, not going to be grades? And what can they do to make sure that they open up their pool, uh, make sure that they are getting the best people? Because sometimes I think they these firms arbitrarily cut themselves off from good attorneys because they're too obsessed with making sure that they have grade markers that may or may not reflect how well that person develops into an attorney. Yeah, I mean, I will I will tell you, though, that after I wrote an, I wrote an article about the Chicago situation, and I have received quite a, quite a few, more than I would have certainly anticipated, of folks writing to me telling me that, you know, basically that the people at Chicago that are looking for pass-fail credits are are basically soft. Um, <laughs> like what somebody wrote me said that um, my clients aren't grading my efforts on a pass-fail basis during this time, and I suspect their customers aren't either. If we see, if anything, we see it as an opportunity to, sh- to shine despite the challenges. Maybe it's time for law students to grow up and show the ability to adapt to difficult circumstances. And I just think that kind of misses the point. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the irony, of course, is that you absolutely are being graded on a pass-fail system with your clients. Clients stick with – because the elasticity of a client decision is is not what people think it is. It's not as though midstream you're getting fired from somebody. Indeed, people will stick with their attorneys far past the – point where they probably should invest in a new search to find a new a new firm far longer because there are issues like loyalty and if it ain't mm-hmm. broke don't fix it mentalities and stuff like that you are graded pass fail all the time you do the job or you don't and that's pretty much all there is to it when it comes to this and yeah you can get into a discussion of securing the best result or whatever but those sorts of nuanced decisions and granular differences while very important, is stuff that a lot of clients don't really think about because of loyalty and stuff like that. And that is breaking down. And there are people out there who are doing the legal operations and analytic work to help clients become more cold-hearted and cut off a, a firm who doesn't deliver perfect at all times. But a lot of these decisions are hard. In any one case, you get a result that is X. How do you know that you would have gotten a different result if you went somewhere else? You don't really. They, So long as it is acceptable to the client, it is probably keeping you in the job. So yes, it's a pass-fail work. Yeah. And the other thing is, especially now, right? Like I, I don't think that there are a ton of people who are making those cold-hearted decisions, particularly in the middle of a global pandemic. I think everyone has been very, you know, my my experience has been very understanding. You know, I may not like the fact that the supermarket doesn't have any Charmin, but I'm not going to be yelling at the stock kid because there isn't any toilet paper, right? Like everyone understands that there's, that this is a stressful time and, you know, we're all doing the best we can. Somebody else said that, you know, there'd be like some scarlet letter on folks's you know transcripts if they if they had pass fail this semester and I, I was just like I don't think that's true I think everyone's gonna remember that in 2020 we had a damn pandemic that shut down everything no one's gonna be like oh that's weird we're like oh oh I know exactly why that happened I had a pass fail in my one L year because something came up in middle of second term our contracts professor had a family emergency and had to leave a new contracts professor came in the course wildly shifted focus from where it had been to something else people were confused as to what the emphasis was there was a discussion that it would still be her exam even though we've had we had a 
a new teacher, which people were like, well, that doesn't make any sense. So it became <laughs> a real mess. And the decision was it'll be pass-fail. And that's pass-fail in contracts. This is the very definition of a core class, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And it was okay. Everybody just said, oh, what's this? I said, oh, our section had this issue. And everyone just moved on with their lives. It was amazing how... You still got offers. You still had a big law career. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not that bad. I think that sometimes people lose their heads a little bit, kind of wanting to cling to the way things are supposed to be during a time when nothing is the way it's supposed to be right now, right? You know, there's no certainty. There's a lot of upheaval. So some folks feel the need to really kind of cling, you know, with two hands to any any kind of semblance of the way things used to be. And that's just not the way they are right now. Yeah. You know, speaking of that, you know, um, uh, relatedly, there was a, a, a big law, a Wachtell partner who wrote an email, a memo to his clients that, that has kind of gotten some traction, basically getting really pissed off about litigation practice that he considers non-essential. Like this is his, he says, this is not a normal time. Everyone needs to cool down if they're talking about cases that are not really essential to fighting the pandemic. And if somebody who's at the top of a incredibly prestigious firm like Locktel can have that amount of perspective, I think we all can. Yep. No, I agree. Well, we here at Above the Law are going to continue writing stories about all this and yes. keeping you up to date on the impact on the legal profession. And also, you know, just a, a quick thank you to everyone who's reached out to yes. folks at Above the Law seeking information about um, the ATL founder, David Latt, who most of you know um, has been diagnosed with the coronavirus and is currently hospitalized on a ventilator. To the extent that there is information to share, we will you know, do that um, on the website, but we really appreciate, and I know the family does, his family really appreciates all the well wishes and thoughts and concerns that folks have shared about David. Very true. And with all that said, keep, keep following us and we'll keep you up to date. You should also be, in addition to reading Above the Law, listening to this, subscribing to it, giving it reviews. Those are all important. You should listen to The Jabot, which is Catherine's personal podcast about issues in the law, diversity in the law. You should be listening to the rest of the Legal Talk Network family shows. You should follow us on Twitter. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One. And that's, that's pretty much everything. Bye. Talk to you later. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.